everyone, Carrie Thomas here. I'm here to tell you, the listeners of this podcast, that Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you an opportunity to check out their services. This week, the Memory Motel team recommends The Creative Habit by Twyla Tharp, which is available on Audible. To download your free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash memorymotel. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash memorymotel. Enjoy your free audiobook. Years ago, I dated a dancer. We met at the wedding of a mutual friend, but we didn't know each other. And in hindsight, it was a small miracle that I stepped onto the dance floor that night. I'm no longer a wallflower, but back then, I was basically a potted plant. She trained her body to emote, to glide, to negotiate a stage with impossible movements. And I was the kind of person who lived in his head until she danced me into my body. Then I got myself from Vermont, where I lived, to be with her in New York, where she wrote dance articles for money. And I would join her now and then. On my own, I never would have seen dance. It didn't interest me because I just didn't understand it. It didn't hook me. But one night that changed. I recently asked if she remembered a particular performance we saw together. It was called Split Ends. It was a two-part dance piece, and it was created by a famous dancer, Merce Cunningham, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of his company. We saw it at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. Radiohead and Sugaros each scored one part of the dance which is really the draw for me, since I was a huge fan of both bands. She wrote back to me, Terrence, I'm afraid I'd be of very little help with Merce. I can't really remember much at all. That performance may not have been memorable for her, but it was for me. So to take me back, I found her article and searched online for the music Sugaros composed. Her article on the 50th anniversary starts, Merce Cunningham has chosen to look forward, not back. There will be no retrospective, no self-aggrandizing parade of greatest hits. In fact, half his audience may not know who he is. I was certainly in that half, and you may be in that half as well. But here's what I did know about Merce at the time. He was a world-renowned dancer and choreographer, and in his prime, he was a powerhouse, a physical specimen who could do the impossible. He no longer danced when I saw him, but he was a prolific choreographer with over 160 dances under his belt. The other thing I knew was for split ends like his other pieces, a person on stage before the performance would roll a pair of dice over and over again to decide which band would play first, which costumes would be worn first, and which decor would be set up first. And with the roll of the dice, there was the possibility of 32 different versions of the piece. Waiting for the dice to roll, I couldn't have anticipated the electricity of chance. The moment felt heightened, risky. This was not a performance. This was an event. We try to plan and structure, organize and anticipate so much of life. But the heart of our days lies in chance. This is where real life occurs. Because of Merce's method, this was the first dance I really saw. I'd gone to others, but with the simple roll of the dice... It felt like watching life. I was seeing something singular, something that might not happen ever again. To see the body used so deliberately, so precisely, so expressively, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And the music I'd come to hear, 
It fell into the background, while the dancers moved into the foreground. Before the performance, my ex-girlfriend asked Merce if he was nervous, since no one, not the bands or dancers or audience, or even he, knew what would happen on the night of the performance. Merce said, Oh yes, of course, terrified. And then he laughed. What drove Merce to make over 160 dances during his career was the not knowing. There is always something new, he said. I don't mean I'm going to get it, but I keep looking. I didn't know I'd meet my ex at a wedding of a mutual friend. I didn't know we'd dance together and fall in love. I didn't know I'd move from Vermont to New York to be with her. And I didn't know we'd break up in Stockholm after another wedding. In life, the unknown can be equal parts terrifying and exhilarating. But in art, the unknown is wondrous. It forces us to pay attention. And what we pay attention to is what we remember. Today's episode is about a solo performance choreographed and danced by Merce in the 1950s. The solo is called Changeling, and by the time Merce died in 2009, the solo was lost. For Merce, this might not have been the end of the world. He was always looking forward. Dance was ephemeral. But for the people who want to remember him and his work, they understandably want to find every trace of his legacy. But what happens when you try to reconstruct what was meant to be ephemeral? I really get both heels down, then pull your foot, or plie up, 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 out, and from here, stretch your foot. Don't kick it. Stretch. So you stretch the bottom of the leg, but not kicking into the joint. Um, the story, of course, is that Merce thought of himself as a changeling. I mean, he thought of himself as changeling. Uh, apparently, uh, Cunningham thought of himself as a changeling. <laughs> Uh, because he was born into a family that was very straight. Well, his brothers all turned out to be lawyers. His father was a lawyer. Uh, and there was this guy who suddenly <laughs> decided to be a dancer. So I, the title, I think, comes from some such notion or the idea of some creature who appears in an unexpected context. I guess that would be another way to look at it. Um, you know, there are works of Merce's that there's a lot of information known about the work. There's notes, there's photographs, there might be notation. With Changeling, there aren't really any notes, which is common with a lot of the solos that Merce made for himself. At the time when Merce began making dances in the late 40s and early 50s, he wrote it down if you wanted to remember it. And close. I'm just trying to think back here. Yeah, um, I, I have to be honest and say memory is a tricky thing, as you doubtless know. Um, but I have no specific recollections of seeing Changeling uh, in that period, as I say, when it was first made, 57, 58. At some point it disappeared from the repertory, and I don't know exactly when. Changeling was lost as a solo and and as a, a document. But I think it's all true for all of the solos. They never surfaced. The solos, they vanished with Merce. 
just can't remember. And I remember. Can't remember. This. I remember even. I do remember he said this. He said those stories were the essence of it was like what heaven. it was to be alive. Okay, so in the late 40s, Cunningham was dancing with Martha Graham. And he was actually quite well known for his dancing because he had a beautiful jump. And um, he broke off and he was very experimental by nature in a way that is, uh, it was just, it was, he was a game changer. I mean, and so, so much was based on his work. His whole aesthetic um, is based on ideas around the synchronicities of the universe. He said, I'm not interested in how I feel about things. I want the world to decide by chance. He wanted to free his mind of and his imagination from all these kind of cliches. Abstraction played a really important role. It wasn't a story that he was trying to communicate that was about a prince and a princess or about a man and a woman, that it was about the human body going through life. So chance let him do that. So, for instance, um, when you go to a, a play that's based in the Aristotelian structure, you have the exposition. That's all laid out in Act 1, right? And then Act 2, there's some obstacle and so on and so forth. And then Act 3, there's resolution and some moral. Yeah, right. What if you had a dice and you rolled the dice and you said, okay, so what's going to come first? And you rolled a 3. So you played Act 3 first. And then you rolled a dice and it said 1. And you played Act 1 second. And then you got the two. So to me, like, that would be the simplest example of resequencing. And some people would say, that makes no sense. But Cunningham would say, let's look at it. What is it? If we know the end first, what does it do to the beginning? The kinds of tasks that he would at one point or in one dance ask you to complete could be very pedestrian. They could be incredibly virtuosic and anywhere in between. Maybe he would choreograph something for his right arm and something for his left leg and something for his hips. He could, you know, throw dice and figure out, oh, well, this sequence is going to go with this music and this cast is going to do this and this cast, that kind of thing. You can roll the dice for anything. I've found in almost every piece I've done, if I really use the chance operation and follow it through, that it always uh, brings out something that I don't think I would have thought of otherwise by myself and opens out some new kind of facet, a new kind of possibility. So when you look at a piece of Cunningham's, you feel like you're in nature because nothing is framed. Sometimes it was looked like a nature study and sometimes it looked like a crowded subway platform and sometimes it looked like any, I don't know, everything. Everything is sort of happening and it's very eventful, but it's also has to do with your awareness level. But it's very important to understand that it was a method to arrive to a set choreography. He had done all the chance operations on them, and then they were done. The complexity of the work builds slowly. It's not all at once. So the way he would teach something would be first, you have to move your foot back and forth 15 times, 
and then twist your body to the left, and then, you know, step on your left leg, and bend your right leg, then step forward on your left leg again, then pick your right leg off the ground. So then you would know that those are like five things. Out, turn. And then he would say, okay, when you do that, tilt your torso to the left. When you do the next thing, keep your torso to the left, but turn your head to the right. And then when you do the next thing, arch your back. And then when you do the next thing, curve your back. And then he would add the arms. When you step on the first leg, bend your right arm behind you. Put your left arm and wait for the person all the way on the other side of the stage to move their arm. And then you go over there. Change them really quickly and then do another thing. And then sometimes there would be, you know, three steps on the ground, but ten arm changes or the inverse of the inverse of that. And do that 600 times until it's exactly the same every time you do it. And one. The repetition of rehearsal is largely what accounts for the accuracy, which for me was actually a lot harder to remember initially, that there was no thread through something except do this, then 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 do this. And one, two, three, yes. So you get your foot in on the one, okay? People need to see this work. They need to see the spirit and the work of Merce Cunningham. It's so important. It's so radical and different. And I think for young people, especially who have never heard of him, there's a tremendous importance in teaching that work. It's more of a question than a kind of challenge of modern dance. Because, you know, we have ballet schools. You know, there is a kind of rite of passage where those other traditions sort of figured out establishment of sort, you know, that actually keeps going. The history of ballet before video was ballerinas remembering the dances in their bodies and teaching them to the young ballerinas. It was all about the body's memory and that passing on of body to body. It's amazing. There are a number of different formal notation systems for a dance. One of them is called Laban notation. Certainly, if you want to know where to be on stage and for how long and with what rhythm. It doesn't notate very much. So video is, is it. It's great. Video changed everything. You know, for the choreographer to survive his time and for the legacy, there's only one way. The works have to be danced. So the idea of dance reconstruction for especially historical work, I think there's lots of merits. It can be quite brilliant when you see a great performer doing very experimental work that's not their own. But it also has an inherent difficulty and and, um, not, not a flaw, but like an inherent contradiction almost in the very idea of recreating something that wasn't necessarily meant to be recreated. They're sort of going into the experimenter's mind, but it's not them. It's a kind of inevitable movement. Like, people are in flux of changing things and reinventing things and finding new things, and that's very exciting. But when you take away the creator and then you teach that material to somebody else, I don't know how durable it is. Should it be done or should it be not done? I am for doing it, because that's the only way for us to actually experience at least some of it.
Merce's work, you know, video equipment was very expensive and it wasn't something that he had readily available to him. And so there aren't really video documents of the dances until later. Um, if there isn't a video, we generally don't undertake the work. I've done quite a bit of work with archival materials before in other films, and I basically know that you just have to go on this detective scavenger hunt because there's a lot more out there than you ever think. I was made aware of the discovery of this video in the German TV archive by director Ala Kovgan. However, when I wrote to the German television, they basically said, we don't have it. So I said, listen, you know, you should look in your section that has unidentified materials. And it can say anything, dance, ballet, or some music, or something. And you have it organized by date. So can you please go in 1958 and just go for it? Maybe a week later, I get an email saying, I think we have it. And they send me the label of what it is, and it's a 16-millimeter reel that says... A ballet. By the time I arrived to Germany, they already transferred it and had a DVD made of it. I, of course, was very interested. I had heard about Changeling just in texts. But when we watched it, we realized, like, oh my God, you know, this is some of the first early recordings of Mars doing his solos. And it was a shock. I mean, it was a, a fantastic shock for everyone, I think. Discovering this dance and seeing him dance that early sort of gives a whole other dimension of his work, I think, especially because it's the solos, you know, that have this kind of very special significance and kind of stand apart from everything he's done. So that's why this one's so, I guess, big deal. I mean, you know, in a way, because... It's a full solo. You can see it really well. It's filmed very well, and you can reconstruct it. Nobody could ever reconstruct it had it not been found. Changeling, more mysterious. Um this animal-like character to the movements, somehow through the dancers, transformed into some other kind of creature. He's kind of got this light burning in his eyes. He's in this weird, ripped-up costume. He has a sort of knit skull cap on. Rauschenberg designed the costume. Uh, so it's all this red kind of costume with a hat. It's like six minutes long, and you see Merce. You see a young Merce. It's absolutely stunning record of Merce doing the solo that has never been seen live. But to me, it's like it's one artifact. And then we have Silas, who's also dancing, but they're completely different. I mean, I don't even imagine how you can compare those two. That basically, I think, that gives a license to people to reconstruct, you know, and just interpret. And yet it's all Merce's choreography. Having watched it many, many times, I would 
do the solo as much as you know I could based on what I saw on the video. A lot of Marissa's work is very linear and, and very clear, and those parts of it are a lot easier to make decisions about, but sometimes it's not so clear what he might have been trying to do or what he was doing. At some point, I sort of had to stop watching it just because the, the minutia ended up feeling like a cage that I was living in. This is a rare instance where there's one video. There's no, like, let's look at an alternate angle. It's just this. So what you have is... Palimpsest? Do you know that word? Palimpsest. Something reused or altered, but still bearing visible traces of its earlier form. It really represents the absence, the what time has done. Like if the camera doesn't include Merce's entire body, or how to do some particularly idiosyncratic movement. So Silas is looking at this and he's saying, okay, I don't know what my back leg is doing here because I can't see it on the video. Is he filling that in based on his knowledge of what Cunningham might have done? Or is he not using that leg because it's erased? I've admired Silas's dancing a lot over the years. So he was, he was a good person to, to be doing that. And um, the... Um, but it wasn't Merce. I mean, <laughs> uh, the dance was like a, it's like a reflection hmm, uh, through some other medium. Things change. They really do change. I mean, the feeling changes because you have a different person doing it, um, different personality, different physical presence, uh, all those things. Um, so you, you can see that it's the same dance, but because of the dancer, it's also changed quite a lot. There's something about this work, but I think all kind of dance reconstructions where you really, you have to be yourself and you have to also be someone else. And so it also felt like a kind of communion with him that I would get to inhabit that role. Okay, parallel, three times through the foot, out, plie, flex your foot, point, and close. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, go. Today's episode would not have been possible without Silas Rayner. I didn't go to school to be a dancer. I sort of found it along the way. Ala Kovgin... So I came to America for graduate school, and that's how slowly but surely I got into film. Annie B. Parson. Making a dance and relearning a dance, uh, to me, they, they aren't related. But then I'm a choreographer. And Christian Wolf. I started to work as a composer in my late teens, when also I met Nurse um, Cunningham. Links to all their work can be found on our website, memorymotel.audio. Today's episode was produced by me and Bart Walshaw, with assistance from Carrie Ann Thomas, Samira Tazari, and Carson Briggs-Frame. Thank you for the recent reviews, Tawny Panicata. I hope that's your real name, CC Ryder and Stephanie Lepp. It means a lot, and it makes a big difference. To our new subscribers to the newsletter, welcome. Please let us know what you like and don't like and would like to see in the future. Our Twitter handles are at Memory Motel, and at Terrence underscore Mickey. 
And if you haven't subscribed yet, what on earth are you waiting for? Until next time, I can't wait to see what you find when you go back.